0: Well, today uh, we continue uh, week three in the series of messages about resurrection response. And um, uh, what triggered this is the movie that was released, Risen. I hope you've seen it because I was told by some people in the first service that uh, they went to see it uh, Friday and that was the last day that it was showing. Uh, but if you saw it, you know it was a compelling movie with the uh, Roman Tribune, Clavis's, uh, uh really uh, struggle to believe in Jesus and the resurrection. And we'll have another quick video clip later on that I think shows some of that as well. And so in this series of messages, as we've gotten closer to the cross event, uh, we've been challenged, first of all, uh, by the cross and looked at that as the passion of God for us, to understand just how much God loved us, that he would send his son to die on the cross for us, and that we should respond to that love. Uh, in the way that he was passionate about us. Uh, and we should respond to that love and be passionate in following him. Now, last week we looked uh, a little bit deeper at the cross and the crucifixion. And, and uh, we saw the, the challenge of the cross to us is that, that we should be bold believers and followers in Christ. And not be contented uh, just to have a, a safe and secure Christian faith. And without risking anything for the glory of God, and for the kingdom of God. And so we accepted that challenge for that. This... This message today, The Struggle to Surrender, uh, is taking us um, closer to the cross event as we journey with Jesus and his disciples. And what lies ahead of him uh, as we read through this text today is, is the betrayal, then the arrest, uh, then the mockery of the trial, then the brutality, and then ultimately the crucifixion, and then on Easter Sunday, uh, the resurrection. When we look at Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26, for our scripture reading for today... Uh, we see that uh, they have had the, the, the meal uh, in that upper room and they call it now the, the Lord's Supper. And Jesus accurately betrayed that he would, uh, d- d- um, predicted that he would be betrayed and there would be denial and that Peter would deny him at least three times. Uh, and then they move into this discourse where they go to the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus had gone with the disciples on multiple occasions uh, and they would go there for retreat. They would go there for prayer. And so this is where uh, we pick up the scripture today in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26, uh, beginning in verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Now, that's powerful. That tells you something about the intensity of this struggle, the struggle that Jesus had in the garden. He said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Then in verse 39, going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayal. Now, that is the way that the Gospel writer Matthew portrays that moving scene in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke all give us a glimpse into this agonizing time in in the life of Jesus Christ. And they all have a little bit of something different in that. We've got a couple of pictures to show you of um, what I think uh, are some um, very moving pictures. First is um, of Jesus in that agony praying on the rock. Uh, Luke's gospel is the one that tells us that an angel came and ministered to Jesus. And that probably inspired this artist's work with the angel. Uh, behind Jesus. And then there in the Garden of Gethsemane uh, it's believed that uh, even today that the olive trees that are there uh, were of the original roots from the trees that were there when Jesus knelt and prayed in that place. And there's also there a church called the Church of All Nations. We've got a picture of that. And inside the Church of All Nations there at the altar is called the Rock of Agony. And uh, supposedly there in the altar area uh, that, uh, that's the rock upon which Jesus was praying as he dealt with this to, uh, struggle to surrender in the agony uh, of his soul. Now, you notice in his prayer that Jesus talked about a cup that was before him, the cup that he was called to drink. And he asked the Father three times to take it away if that was possible. Matthew says, he said, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And then Matthew says again that Jesus says, My Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Now there was something about that cup that Jesus knew that was disturbing. There was something about that cup that troubled him and brought the anguish to his body. In fact, uh, Luke 22 verse 44, Luke being the doctor, uh, would comment on this and And when he says that Jesus was in anguish, he uses a word from which we get the word agony. And you can see something about the agony and the struggle and the seriousness of the struggle that Jesus was going through in the garden. And then Jesus had talked about this cup to his disciples before and he asked them, Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and to be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? And they said yes. And he was speaking about the baptism of suffering and the cup of God's judgment. Well, in Psalm 75, verse 8, I think the psalmist has a, a prophetic look ahead at that cup. And the psalmist says, it is God who judges. In the hand of the Lord is a cup full of foaming wine mixed with spices. He pours it out, and all the wicked of the earth drink it down to its very dregs. Now, Jesus was sinless. Only person, only person to walk in flesh upon the face of this earth and be, remain sinless. But he chose to drink this cup of judgment for us. Now I want to suggest three things that I think that Jesus possibly saw in that cup. Knowing what it held for him and the struggle that he went through to be willing to accept this as God's plan for his life. First of all was the emotional plan of being alone. The emotional pain, rather, of being alone. Emotional pain of being alone. Jesus looked into the cup, and he saw what was going to be taking place. And one of those things was that he would be forsaken by his friends, by his followers. And that was troubling to Jesus because Jesus was a people person. John the Baptist, on the other hand, he was a recluse. It didn't bother him to live out in the wild and be all alone. But Jesus was a people person. He loved to be around people. He loved to be in their home. He loved to experience what they were experiencing in life. And when the Pharisees uh, were looking for reasons to condemn him, they said, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Jesus was very commonly known uh, to associate with sinners, known sinners in the eyes of the Pharisees, because he loved to be with people. He was labeled a a glutton and a wine-bibber. And the Bible says the common people heard him gladly. That's another reference to the fact that he genuinely loved people and being with them. There was a time in his ministry, remember, when uh, there were a group of parents who wanted to bring their children to see Jesus, and the disciples said, no, he's too busy for that. And Jesus rebuked the disciples and said, no, bring the children. Let them bring the children to me. And he took time out of his ministry and made this a part of his ministry to allow the parents to come and bring the children. He took them on his lap. He blessed them. And it just shows to us how much of a people person, Jesus really was. And we also need to learn or understand, if we have kind of forgotten about it, that one of the most important words in in talking about God and the kingdom of God is relationship. That God is a relationship building God. that He wants that relationship with us. We go all the way back to the Garden of Eden and the creation of Adam. And God didn't take very long to decide. It's not good for Adam to be alone. All the other animals have other animals that they, that they uh, have as a, as a companion in life. And, and Adam was alone. And God created Adam to have a relationship with him. And so he created Eve to have a relationship with Adam for fulfillment and completement and, and satisfaction and growing in that relationship. Now when we come and look at the last week of the life of Jesus, we see that the closer he got to the cross, the more that people began to leave him. The first to go was the mass of the crowd that was following after him. And then there was uh, the betrayal by one of the disciples. And then there was a denial by ten of them that was left. And only John the disciple went all the way to the foot of the cross and was there with Jesus when he died. You Remember that Jesus commissioned John to take over care for Jesus' mother, Mary. Now not only did people forsake him, but many despised him. And now Isaiah the prophet wrote about this 750 years earlier. He describes Jesus this way. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. And that Jesus was to experience a profound depth of loneliness that he had never known before. He saw that in that cup. And what bothered him the most was not losing the crowd and not the disciples as they left him and not so much Peter as he denied him. But what Jesus knew was going to hurt him the most was because he would become sin for us, for you and me and I on the cross in our place, he would lose that intimate, perfect, relationship that he had always had with God the Father. And that was going to be broken when he became sin on our behalf. And that about broke his heart. See, Jesus saw loneliness in that cup. He knew he would be denied, arrested, tried, tortured, and crucified all alone. And hanging on the cross, he would look into heaven and ask, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? No wonder in his struggle that night, he said, Father, if it's possible, take this cup away. And I think the thing that bothered him the most about that, even though there was pain and and spiritual aspects about this, I think what bothered him most was the perfect relationship that he had always had with God the Father was going to be broken. Now, there's something in here that speaks to you today. Some of you today are people, a person, but you find yourself maybe struggling in some relationships. Remember, God knows that. He understands that. Jesus understands that. Some of you feel like at school, uh, that you don't have any friends, you don't have any relationship. Remember that, that God loves you, and he has a relationship with you. He's always there with you, no matter what you're going through. Some of you, your parents are dealing with an empty nest at home, and life's not like it was when the kids were there. Some of you are dealing with living without your spouse, who's left you in death. And you're there dealing with those issues of of, of loneliness. Remember that God is there with you, no matter what you're experiencing, and He is with you in a relationship that He promises will never be broken. And He tells us that He can bring a friend into our life who uh, who will stick closer than a brother, and that friend is Jesus Christ. There's a second thing I think Jesus saw in that cup, and that is He saw the pain, the physical pain. Of crucifixion. Jesus knew that he was facing uh, the most cruel means of execution and torture that uh, could ever be invented. And that was death by means of crucifixion. He knew what was ahead of him. He knew he was facing torture. He knew his excruciating pain was going to be his, along with the shame. He was fully God, but he was also fully man. And being man, he knew what that would do to his body, that he would experience the agony of death by crucifixion. He knew a crown of thorns would be placed savagely upon his head to the manner that it would puncture his scalp and blood would flow. He knew it would be tied to a post and his back would be beaten with a cat of nine tails until his back was nothing but a a bloody mass of tissue. And he knew that he would be treated and mocked and scorned and shamed according to the prophecy of Isaiah 50 verse 6 he knew that his beard would be plucked and that a club would be used to strike him he knew that those huge nails would be driven through his wrist and through his feet and he would be nailed to that cross and he would hang on that cross for six hours to the point of where his lungs would actually fill with water fluid to the point that he would actually die from that on the cross and he knew all of that was before him. I think he could even feel that spear being thrust into his side. He saw all of that in the cup. It's interesting once again that Luke, who was a doctor, Dr. Luke, is the only writer that tells us that Jesus was under such pressure that he sweated drops of blood. And the word that Luke uses there is the word from which we get our word today, uh, a thrombosis. thrombosis. And it's the only time in the New Testament that word is used. And there is a recorded medical uh, condition known as hematodrosis, and which has been seen in patients who are under severe stress, to where um, the capillaries around their sweat pores become fragile, and they will leak blood into the sweat. In fact, history tells us that Charles the Ninth of France was a horrible king. And he had so many people put to death that when he lay on his deathbed, he was in such anguish over what he had done, such remorse for the way he had treated people, that blood flowed from him as well when he was under that stress and that he literally died in a a pool of blood on his bed. With Jesus, it was different. Once again, he was the sinless son of God who was facing a choice. Would he go to the cross or would he not? And he did ask out of humanity, Father, if there is another way, then take this cup from me. And let me interject right here. If you think that there is any other means of salvation except through the blood of Jesus Christ shed on the cross, why would God put his son through all that agony to nail him to the cross? There is no other means. It is through this. And so that's why God could not take that cup from him. Jesus had to drink that cup. And can you imagine the anguish of his soul? When blood oozed from his head. Can you imagine his anguish when they came and they arrested him and what he might have looked like as the blood flowed down his face and into his beard? It was all because he knew the physical pain that he would experience. Then I think the third thing that we see is that Jesus saw in that cup the spiritual pain of bearing the sin of the world. Jesus came as the Lamb of God to take away the sins of the world. John the Baptist looked at him when Jesus came uh, walking towards John to be baptized. and, And John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus knew that this was why he came. And when he looked in that cup, perhaps he saw the billions of sin for the billions of people who would live on planet earth. And he realized that he would bear all of those on his own body. In fact 1 Peter 2.24 says he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live to righteousness. What that means for us is that when Jesus died on that cross he took the punishment for us in our place. And it also means that he literally became sin. He took all that sin of all people yours and mine all of that on himself. I think one of the most amazing verses in the Bible is 2 Corinthians 5.21 where the Apostle Paul writes about Jesus dying on the cross and he says that God made him, that's Jesus, who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. You see what's going on there on the cross? Jesus, the sinless son of God, became sin on the cross, taking sin in our life, becoming sin So that he could be the sin bearer for us and that we might become the righteousness of God. You see if it wasn't for the death of Jesus on the cross and the righteousness of God on display through that. Then you and I would stand before a holy God and and the only means, the only thing that could be left for us at the time of judgment would be for God to say this person is guilty and they're deserving of death and hell. But when we turn to Jesus by faith and we trust him. Then God looks through the filter of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And he sees us not as condemned lost sinners. But he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ in our life. And that's all possible because Jesus died on the cross in your place and in mine. See in Gethsemane Jesus looked into that cup and he saw all your sins. He saw all my sins. He was repulsed by the sight. But he understood That this was God's will for his life. He went through a struggle. That's normal. That's natural to look at him. That humanity was on full display in the garden as he cried that night out in in prayer, agonizing with God. So now we come and we look at this. Okay, the challenge in each one of these messages as we get closer to the, the Easter celebration and the resurrection of Christ and the resurrection response is... Okay, what do we do? What does this mean for us? What are the implications for us when we see Jesus struggling to surrender? Well, it means for us then, if we're going to be believers in Christ, and if we're going to be followers of Christ, if we're going to accept his death as the payment for our sins, and we want to be sold out, and as our high school ensemble said today, if we want to hold nothing back, if we want to be really bold with our faith and forget about the safety of, of our faith and just want to live boldly for God, then we're going to have to go through a struggle to reach that point. And, and if we're going to be true disciples and followers like those early disciples were, then we need to go through that. We're going to have to go through that because it is a struggle to give up self-will for God's will. And you and I won't be the first people who've ever had to deal with it that way. In the movie we got this little clip, and again it focuses on Bartholomew. And Clavius, the Roman Tribune, is is interviewing him again, takes him from the upper room from the other disciples, and they go uh, to interview him. And watch the dynamics that take place in here and how Bartholomew answers. Who's Bartholomew? I am him. Bring him. But you have to win by spreading fantasy. By mine own eyes. I, I, I walked with him. He spoke to me. It's unbelievable, but it is so. Then conjure him up. Right now. Or show me the body. He must have shed like a snakeskin. God is not at my beck and call. God? Yahweh manifests himself through a crazy, poor, dead Jew. <laughs> well, so it appears, you know what does this rebirth mean? Eternal life. For for everyone. Everyone who believes. Marvellous recruiting tool. Much better than salt. How many are you? Well, we are few for now. And our only weapon is love. And hey, there's a little bit of humor woven through the movie. I hope you did get to see it. And we'll hopefully maybe have another clip on Easter morning when they're trying to find out what they're going to do with the body of Jesus. There's a little humor thrown in there. Bartholomew has a little bit of humor thrown in. But I like the way he answers. But he talks about that they are followers of Jesus and their only weapons are love. So if you're willing to follow after Christ and the only weapon you take with you in this world is love, what's it going to mean for you? I think you're going to have to struggle like Jesus did to come to accept that and surrender your will to God's will. And the same three things are involved in our process that we see involved with Jesus here in the garden. First of all, there's going to be prayer. You're going to have to pray like you've never prayed before. You're going to have to reach the depth of your spiritual being in a gut-wrenching prayer where you just lay everything out before God and that you absolutely pray to Him like you've never done before. Is this really what you want me to do? God, what does it take? What do I need to do? What do you want from me if I'm going to follow after you? We've got to pray honestly to offer ourselves up to God. And it's going to be, there's going to be some agony in it. There's going to be some, some difficulty in doing that. Because you might move from the familiar and the comfort of the safety to something that is totally unknown to you. And so you're going to have to trust your prayer life. Then the second thing you have to do is you have to Surrender. And that is you have to surrender your self-will to God's will. That doesn't mean that you're not living a Christian life, but if you're going to be totally sold out, then it means that you've got to surrender your will to God's will. That's exactly what Jesus did, wasn't it? That's why he came to earth and he knew that and for three years in his ministry he taught that. He told the disciples that many times that he would have to go to Jerusalem, he'd be denied, he'd he'd be betrayed, he would be handed over and be uh, brutally treated and ultimately would die on the cross of crucifixion. But when it really came down to that moment then we see his humanity. And when it comes down to the ultimate moment to us where we are really willing to forsake our self-will and accept God's will, It's going to be a struggle. It's going to be a struggle. You might be very comfortable with where you are in your life. You might be very comfortable with where you are in your Christian faith. But God is trying to nudge you out of that comfortable zone so that you can go out into the world and armed with the love of God, you can make a difference in the world for the kingdom of God. Now, surrendering your will to God doesn't mean that you're going to leave everything behind and go to some darkest corner of Africa and be a career missionary. It might. He might call you to do that. He might call you to preach. He might call you to be a minister to students. He might call you to be a children's minister. Don't know. But you won't know until you surrender your will to God. So when I left and went off to college, I knew I had a call experience. I tried to leave it behind. I went to college to prepare to do what I wanted to do, but God never would let me go. And it was through a time of prayer and, and, and gut-wrenching wrestling with God at 2 o'clock in the morning that I finally came to where I said, Okay, God, if this is what you want me to do, then that's what I will do. But then again, even in that, I kind of grudgingly moved into that. I said, If that's what you want me to do is go into ministry, I'll be a chaplain. Because I'd seen a church that treated pastors terribly. And people do just mean things. And I said, I don't want to have to go and worry about budgets. I don't want to have to deal with deacons. I don't want to have to go to meetings. I don't want to have to do all that stuff in the church. I'll be a chaplain. And I did that for a while. And then, it, you know, God just never quit working in my life and moving me to where he wanted me to be. I don't know that that's going to be the same thing for you, but I do know this. That a total surrender to God is always saying, God, wherever you want me to go and whatever you want me to do. That's total surrender. That's what Jesus said, wasn't it? And then the third thing is so evident, and that is you have to trust God's plan for your life. You think you've got your life all laid out. You think you've got it planned. You think you know what's best for your life. Well, that might ultimately be true, but you want to ask God to make sure that that's true. I mean, wherever you are in your career, you can use that to glorify God. Now, you can use that to be a witness for God no matter where you are. And so you have to trust God's plan for your life. And isn't that ultimately what Jesus did? He said, Father, if there is some way that we can redeem lost humanity without my going to the cross and experiencing all that it will mean, then, then let's do that. But if not, then I trust your plan because it's your will, not my will. So here we are with the time for responding to this. What's it mean for you? Are you willing to pray like you've never prayed before to seek God's will and leadership in your life? Are you willing to surrender yourself for his will, self-will for God's will? And are you willing to trust God's plan for your life? That's what Jesus did. Father, we thank you that in your love for us, you sent Jesus Christ, perfect in every way, fully God, fully man coming to earth to live the way that you call us to live and and then ultimately giving his life uh, in death on the cross so that we could experience salvation and freedom from our sins. Father, I pray if there's anyone here today who's not yet responded to that love of God. And then I pray that they will come and respond to that today and trust Christ and what he did on the cross. And I pray, Father, for all of us who are believers and followers after you that that we would be willing to just go deeper in that relationship and really pray, Father, what do you want me to do? Here's my will. You get on the throne of my life. I get off the throne. You take the throne of my life. And then I trust your plan for my life from here on because I want to be, I want to be your disciple in this world today. And, Father, we pray this prayer in your name through faith in Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen.